It's quite an honor to be that. <laughs> Can you hear me? Okay. Am I on? Hello. I turned it on. Yeah, it's on. There. There we go. Hi. <laughs> well, I thought, you know, we'd start in Genesis and just see how far we get today. <laughs> Maybe break for lunch and come back. Just kidding, really. <laughs> uh, let, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your love for us, your, your great love that you've shown through Jesus Christ, Lord. Committing to you, Lord, to die on the cross to save us from our sins. We ask that, Lord, our ears be open now by your Holy Spirit, that your voice is heard by us, that your word speaks to us, that you're glorified by what it does in our lives, Lord. We ask your blessing on this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was talking with uh, my wife and my uh, sister-in-law, who's here today, uh, I said, what am I going to talk about Sunday? And, you know, and, and I said, I was thinking about doing something like on forgiveness and love and things like that. And then, boy, that opened up quite a conversation of uh, relationships and things that we all, you know, the interpersonal relationships, we wish it was always good, but it's not always good, is it? There's, because Joe mentioned that Jesus has uh, flawed people to use, and, and uh, that's all of us. And so we don't always get it right in our relationships, do we? Even among friends, and even in the church, you'd think that love would just conquer all, right? We all have the love of Jesus that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Done. Done. We're, we're good. Our relationships are perfect, right? How many married couples are there today? <laughs> they say familiarity uh, breeds contempt or something like that. You know, we just, you just get too close to people for too long and something doesn't rub you right, you know? And uh, I, my wife complains about picking up my underwear socks off the floor. I just tell her, that's so when I'm gone, you'll say, oh, I wish I had some socks to pick up again or something. <laughs> she just doesn't get it, though. She... <laughs> but we, we screw up. And the, problem, the only problem we have about screwing up in a relationship is our failure to admit we screwed up. And uh, we always end up uh, being hurt or hurting somebody. It's just the way it works. It just happens that way. But, you know, um, the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 10, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Because you're here with each other to rub against each other and to stir one another, actually to annoy one another. <laughs> in the in the Greek to to good works, <laughs> and so we need that uh, interaction because we need to have you know as uh, iron sharpens iron you know we need to rub against each other it just doesn't always work out very well when that happens but in the end it should as we grow see because we don't grow apart from hardships 
We don't grow in relationships about, apart from things going bad in the relationship and working through them and, and, and getting it right and, and understanding that, hey, it's probably my fault, you know? And uh, just, just um, a hint, guys, in marriage relationships, it's your fault. <laughs> just don't even go there. Just don't, even go, don't go full circle. Just, it's your fault. Yep. Done. And it saves a lot of trouble. It saves a lot of time. Just get on with life. <laughs> but... Um, you know, in, in the church, we, we should have a special relationship. We should have a special way of reconciliation because we do have the Holy Spirit. We do have the love of Jesus Christ. We have been born again. We should have a tool here that the, uh, the world doesn't have. You know, the conflicts that are in the world are in the church too, but we should have something that helps us out in that conflict and uh, doesn't doesn't keep us from getting hurt, doesn't keep us from hurting each other, but helps with the resolution, coming back together, uh, growing together, growing up, and a lot of uh, conflict and hurt in the relationships, especially in the church, is because of immaturity, uh, selfishness, you know, saying the wrong thing at the right time, you know, and, you know, you meant to do that, but you shouldn't have, and you knew that. And so, you know, what can we do to build each other up instead of tear each other down? And every relationship needs to be built, needs to have that building up. Anyway, Matthew 18, we'll start there. How's that? Uh, chapter 18 in Matthew, verse 15. Talking about uh, conflict uh, among people in the church. Matthew writes, it says, uh, Jesus says in Matthew, let's put it that way. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, that means if they do something, trespass against you, offend you, hurt you, okay? Go and tell them his fault between you and them. You know, you've been hurt. They did something, they said something, and maybe they said it publicly, Maybe it really got you. Maybe it really hurt you. you. You didn't deserve that. Jesus said, go to them privately. Take a time and go to them and talk to them and explain how that affected you, how it hurt you. And uh, go to him alone. Now, that's not what we do, is it, though? Somebody hurts me, somebody hurts you, and the first thing you do is seek counselors, right? Actually, accomplices. <laughs> and you say, you know what they did? You know what they said? Were you there Sunday when he, you know, Pastor Joe said that? You know, about me? <laughs> and yeah, I heard that, didn't that? Oh yeah, it was bad. And then first thing you know, there's you got a, a, a group going that are just, yeah, and it, and it circulates and talks about a root of bitterness that springs up in the church in Hebrews. And, and that happens because we don't go to them personally and say, and try to reconcile and work through it. We want to be selfish. We like, we like the idea of revenge better than reconciliation. 
and you know we want to get them back and and uh jesus said no go to them personally first don't spread it around don't talk to other people go to them and he says if you've if your brother hears you he says or his sister if they hear you you've gained your brother it's fixed they listened to you they were they you gave them an opportunity to apologize isn't that wonderful when somebody gives you an opportunity to apologize because a lot of times especially as a pastor i pastored at calvary chapel for 15 years you don't know what you did you're just giving the word you're just trying to counsel you're you know talking to people and somebody you did you said the wrong thing maybe you were trying to joke and be funny or something but you said the wrong thing and uh you don't know you just hurt somebody and you need that. You need somebody who, whoever is offended or hurt to come to you and let you know. So he gives you the opportunity to apologize, to repent of it, to say, I'm sorry. That's nothing what I meant to. And especially if you're the pastor, you really don't want to hurt the flock at all, at all. And uh, so that's only fair to come to them first in but if they won't hear you, if, if you go to them and they're just adamant, they're, let's say they're just immature enough and selfish enough to think they're justified in hurting you, well, it goes to another level then. This is in the church now. This is just between us. Jesus says, uh, take two or more witnesses with you. Just, just go to him, a couple you know, spiritual people, <coughs> humble people with you and go to them and say, you know, you did this or you're doing this and this is wrong and it's harming, it's harmed me, but it's also, you know, if this continues, it'll harm the church, you know, and, and let's, let's reconcile this. Let's, let's move on from this. And uh, Jesus said, if he refuses to hear them, okay, this is a person who's adamantly intent on hurting other people in the church and he says if he refuses to hurt them then tell it to the church and that's the church leadership you know just say let's see get some wise people in the church let's get together and talk this through and work it out because it's now come to this third level of you know this is going to involve the church it's no longer just between two people and uh If he refuses to hear them, if he refuses to hear the church, then they're just like a non-believer to you, a heathen or a tax collector. That's the worst thing in the, that culture you could be was a tax collector. Maybe it's this culture too. <laughs> You're just, you work for the IRS, don't you? Yeah, you know. I could tell. You know. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with you. but. <laughs> They hired 80, they're hiring 87,000 more uh, IRS agents. But let's not go there. We want to keep it up, uplifted, upbeat. So there's that conflict resolution that Jesus brings us through. And then he goes on to tell a parable in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. He says, uh, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother's sin against me? And if he, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He says, up to seven times. And he's talking about kind of a daily, 
a day, seven times in a day. And Peter says, should I, maybe seven, if they've gone through seven offenses and they've asked me to forgive them seven times, that's pretty good. That's a good limit. The eighth time that we're done, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, some of you, it's the first time. That's enough. But um, Jesus said, I do not say to you, and he's talking to Peter, up to seven times. He said, but 70 times seven. Peter thought he was doing pretty good at seven. He'd probably, he thought probably, probably thought Jesus would say, good job, Pete. You know, seven times, that's good. You, you're getting it. But Jesus said 70 times seven. And Peter probably sat down and said, oh, how am I going to do that? You know, but uh, Jesus, you know, everything in the Bible is connected, okay? When Jesus mentions things, when he says something, look at that phrase and, and go through scripture and see, is that used someplace else? Uh, because it's, it's all related, and it is actually in Genesis. It's used in Genesis chapter 4. And you know, Cain killed Abel. We, hopefully, that's our, one of our basic uh, Sunday school things. We know Cain killed his brother Abel because uh, he was a bad guy. But um, the Lord called Cain out on it. And he said, where's your brother, Cain? And Cain said, oh, am I my brother's keeper? You know, like the Lord didn't already know, and Cain was going to cover it up, right? And uh, this is, I don't know, I think we can cover things up from the Lord. No. And... So the Lord said, your brother's blood, you know, is crying out to me from the ground. I know what you did. And because of this, you're going to be, a uh, word in my Bible is a vagabond on the earth. You're just going to be a wanderer. You're, you're just not going to be part of any decent society because this is your attitude. This is who you are. And Cain says, oh, my punishment is more than I can bear. You know, he should have had the death penalty. But the Lord said, you're just going to. Uh, not have any valuable use on this earth now. And, and he said, you know what's going to happen, though? People are going to find out about this. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. Read your Bible for the exact words. <laughs> people are just, people are going to find out, and then they say, oh, that's Cain, that's the guy who killed Abel. And, you know, and he said, they're going to kill me. And the Lord said, no, they won't. I'll make sure they don't. And it said the Lord put a mark on Cain, whatever mark that is. It isn't, he didn't put it, make him a black person like the Mormon church used to teach. But uh, <laughs> he put a mark on Cain and said, whoever, whoever uh, harms Cain, he said that uh, I will repay them seven times. Seven times. And Peter said, Shall I forgive them seven times? And the Lord said, if somebody tries to harm you, I'll, re, I'll, re, I'll put it back on them seven times. And so th that was good. But then the family of Cain in chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, Cain went, out, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, dwelt in the land of Nod, which is east of Eden. We all know where that is. No. But, uh, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Enoch built a city and named the city after his son Enoch. 
Enoch was born to Ered, begot Mehuhalel, or whoever, and these names are hard to... But anyway, came up with Lamech a few generations later. Lamech took for himself two wives. This is the first time we have polygamy in the Bible. He, and it's Cain's descendants, I don't know. But uh, he... He was, he, uh, I'm just going to skip over some of that, but he told his wives, he said, I've, uh, he said, I'll, Ada and Zilha, Zilla, Ada and Zilla. And, oh, I didn't remember that. <laughs> Ada and Zilla were his wives. And uh, he said, uh, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me even a young man, for hurting me. And if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech will be avenged seventyfold. In other words, I'll have vengeance seventy times on my enemies. And so you see the connection that Jesus was talking to Peter. Peter said seven times, and Jesus said no, seven times, seventy times seven and so there, it's, it's the idea that the descendants of Cain and this, and this evil, that that's, it's not that they get away with it. It's that uh, instead of vengeance, they should have forgiveness 70 times. They should repent. And Jesus was just explaining to Peter, there's, there's no room for revenge here. There's no room for holding a grudge here. There's no room. If your brother comes to you and repents, Forgive him. Now, if he has a habit of hurting you seven times in a day or 70 times in a day or, you know, once in a day, you know, it, maybe you want to avoid him a little. There's nothing that says you can't avoid them, okay? <laughs> Don't have to sit next to him. Don't, you know, just kind of wave at afar from him and say, have a nice day. Don't get near me. But, uh, you know, Jesus didn't say you have to be friends now. He says if your brother offends you, if your brother does something, forgive them. But maybe you can't be close to them. Maybe they are just that type of person that you want the best for them, but you know that you and them are not good together. It's not working. And so you're not bound to be close to them until maybe one or both of you can grow up a little bit, become a less selfish person, less vengeful person. So you got that dynamic in relationships to where sometimes it's toxic, even in the church. And you, 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 you are responsible for your heart in every matter and in every relationship, but you can't always fix them and you can't be responsible. You can't say, oh, if I only done this and that and that. You can work on it as much as you can, but unless they want to work with you, unless there's a give and take in a relationship, it's, it's not going to be a relationship. But you can have the right heart's attitude, and that's what's important, is what's in your heart. And uh, sometimes over, it takes time to, to make relationships better. And you hope for that. In the book of Job, there's interesting relationships going on between Job and his three friends. And Job, 
We all know the story of Job. Here it is. Job was a rich man, lived a long time ago, had a family, wife and some sons and daughters. And uh, says that in the book of Job, in the first chapter, says there was a man of God in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, our job, I don't know how you want to pronounce it, in verse 1, and the man was blameless and feared God and shunned evil, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also at his possession were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. He was the richest man. He was the uh, uh, Elon Musk of the Middle East there. And better than Elon, I'm sure. But um, skipping ahead to verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, that's the angels, okay, for those of you who want to know, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was also among them. Wait a minute, what's Satan doing in heaven, presenting himself as a son of God? Well, I guess he still has access, doesn't he? That's another story, though. But, and the Lord said to Satan, oh, where did you come from? I'm going to paraphrase a little, okay? Where, where have you been? What's going on? He says, from going to and fro in the earth, from just checking out the earth. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, that's the words, I do not want God to talk to Satan about, you know, me. Don't bring me up. Have you considered less? No, but now that you think about it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but he says he fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered and said, ah, does he fear God for nothing? You've blessed him. You've made a hedge about him and around his household and around all he has and every side. And you've blessed all the work of his hands and his possessions have increased his land. He said, you've just, how can he not serve you? He had made him so rich. And he says, but now if you stretch out your hand, if you, if you do this, touch all that he has, take away all his possessions, he'll curse you face to face. That's just the way it works. You bless them, they'll love you. You, you know, take away their blessing, they'll curse you. That's Satan's view of man. It's, he's not always wrong in that. And the Lord said to Satan, okay. Okay, I'm par paraphrasing. Maybe you got the rule. But okay, do it. Take away all that he has. And so Satan did. And, and in one day, I'll catch up on that. His, uh, all his possessions were taken away and his sons and daughters were killed. His family and his, all, all his riches in and, and one day were gone. And uh, Job arose in verse 20 and said, and he tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. And worshipped? Satan said he'd curse God, but he worshipped. And he said, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So maybe God had something right about Job's character. But then there was another day. 
chapter 2, when the sons of God came to the presence before the Lord and to present themselves. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where where you been? Where you come from? From checking out the earth. And the Lord said to Satan, well, I'd be considered my servant Job. Not again. That there's none like him, blameless and upright, one who fears God, shuns evil, and still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him with no cause. Now, this is from God's own lips, no cause to destroy him. So Satan answered and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. In other words, you threaten him with his life and, you know, human nature, self-preservation, all that he has he'll give for his life. He'll, he'll curse you then. And and Lord said, okay, he's in your hands except for his life. You can't take his life. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he made Job very sick. He was so ill that he had boils on his skin from his bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And he sat in ashes and had a pot shared and he just kind of, I don't know, scraped the sore somehow to some sort of relief. I don't know. But sitting in ashes is a form of repentance. He didn't know what he did, but he's going to uh, humble himself in this way. And, uh, you know, his life is basically ruined. Lost all his possessions, and now he doesn't have his health. And his loving wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, get it over with that's not encouraging. But um, the point I want to get to in this is that Job had three friends. And they heard about what happened, what was happening to him. And so they made the journey to go see him and encourage him. And they came and they sat down where Job was in ashes. And they looked at him and said for seven days they couldn't say anything. They were just like hardly recognize him. He was in such bad shape. And finally, Job broke the silence and he went on a, a little rant, a little, you know, why me? Why is all this happening to me? What did I do to God? God, I, you know, I, I you know, just, I'd just better if I were never born. He went on one of those. And sometimes we can have self-pity it's pretty easy when we're in that sort of situation where everything in our life is falling apart and we don't know why God is doing this to us. Why would he allow that to, for us? And, and uh, so Job, you know, and we come to these situations in our lives, in our trials that we have, and we do need friends to encourage us. We do need the church. We do need each other to, to help us out. But but uh, sometimes we don't do it very well for one another. Sometimes, you know, you're going through a hard time, you know, you throw a couple scriptures at them and say, you know, straighten up, you'll be okay. You know, here's a scripture, you know, you're okay now. I read the Bible to you, you know. And they really need somebody just to weep with them, <laughs> you know, just to be there for them. And, uh, but uh, his friends were typical. And I'll just give you some highlights. Eliphaz, in chapter 4, verse 7, he said, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, Job. 
In other words, it's probably your fault. Whoever perished being innocent. That's an inference that Job, you did something. And you're getting your just deserve. This is a friend now. This is a friend that came to see him and comfort him. In chapter 8, Bildad, the other friend, speaks up. And I'll spare you all of the long, winded, hot air that comes through. But Bildad says, if your sons have sinned against him, he's cast them away for their transgression. Now, isn't that awesome? Isn't that terrible to say a parent who's just lost their sons? Well, your sons sinned. And so God's, taken, God's killed them. You're, you're in this situation. You're hurting. And your friend tells you, well, it's because your sons were sinners. That God, that's why God killed them. Okay, that helps me. You know, and... You know, it's just no good. Chapter 11, verse 5, Zophar, the other friend, the third one. But oh, that God, verse 5, would speak and open his lips against you. Talking to Job. God, God would open his lips and speak against you. He would show you the secrets of wisdom for they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you less than what your iniquity deserves. Okay, that helps. I'm going to be really encouraged now. You know, why has all this happened to me? Well, it's because you're a sinner. Your kids were sinners, and you're not really getting all you deserve. That doesn't help. So what's Job's answer to that? Six, verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 2. Job answers and said, I've heard many such things. You've told me quite a bit. Miserable comforters are you all. Are you, all. you guys are no good at this. <laughs> He said, he said, I could speak as you do. I could say those things too. If, my soul, if your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you. I could say the same thing and shake my head at you. But I, really, I would strengthen you with my mouth and comfort you with my lips and would relieve your grief. He says, this is what you're supposed to do, and you're not doing it. You're not helping at all. And so this is a relationship. These were friends of Job's. With friends like that, who needs, you know, enemies, right? You know, these guys come to comfort me, and they just make my life worse. And we have to be careful when we comfort one another, don't we? That we do comfort one another. And hopefully they don't have to school us as Job did his friends and said, you know, you could just, you know, comfort me for real instead of just telling me how I deserve all this. In chapter 42, we'll skip way to the end of the book. It's always nice to read the end of the book to see if it turns out okay. <laughs> but... Um, 
But back up a few chapters, 38, the Lord finally comes on the scene and, and the Lord actually speaks to Job and his friends. And the Lord says, who uh, darkens counsel without wisdom? Or, you know, who, you guys are, you don't know what you're talking about. And he talks to Job, as a matter of fact. And he says, stand up on your feet, Job. Straighten yourself up like a man. I'm going to uh, ask you some questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? And the morning stars sang and the sons of God shouted, you know? Where were you when I, I did this? And, you know, answer me if you can. And the Lord went on quite a ways with Job and said, you know, Job, you're, you, you're saying it. You don't know why I'm doing this to you. You've got, you'd like to plead your case with me. You'd like, you know, somebody to comfort you. Like, you know, you want a daysman. You want a, a lawyer, somebody to get be between you and me to explain it all to you. And the Lord's basically telling Job, why do I need to explain anything to you? You should trust my character in who I am. And sometimes that's all we can do is trust that the Lord loves us and he is good. That's his character. And whatever's happening to us, if he's allowed it to be, we will uh, receive it and hope that it ends soon. But, you know, trust that God has not changed. He's still good. So in verse 42... Verse 7 in Job, So it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, that's one of his friends, My wrath has aroused against you and your two friends. In other words, now the Lord kind of straightened Job out in a loving way, I'm sure. But now he's talking to his friends, the comforters. He said, My wrath is aroused against you. He never said that about Job. But he said about these guys, you have not spoken of me what is right. You have not um, related my character or my word in the right way to Job. He did bad. And he says, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take yourselves seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job. And offer up for yourselves burnt offerings, and my servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. Twice the Lord mentions that. When the Lord mentions something twice, he means it. And so if I were his friends, I, I would be at that point saying, oh, sorry, Lord, <laughs> messed up, my bad. We'll do the sacrifice. So Eliphaz in verse 9, the Timonite, Bildad, the Shuite, and so far the Nehemathite, went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. It didn't say... The Lord did, just didn't come to Job's side and said, these guys really got it bad, Job. I really feel for you. I'm just going to restore your losses now. No, Job had to do something about it. Job had to forgive him. You can't pray for somebody that you're not forgiving unless you pray, Lord, smite them, you know. <laughs> Give them what they deserve. Thank you. Amen. 
And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. You want restoration in your life? Somebody has wounded you? Maybe they have. Maybe they haven't asked for forgiveness from you, but you can pray for them. You know what? You'll have the riches of joy that you had in, with the Lord in that relationship, that closeness in your heart. That'll be restored to you if you pray for them. Doesn't fix them. Hopefully it does. Hopefully the Lord will speak to them as he did to Job's friends and said, you blew it. You got me all wrong and you represented me to Job in a very poor way. Hurt the man more after I had already done this to him. Bad news, bad news. But, you know, we can learn from that. You can read the whole book of Job if you have time for it and perseverance to get through all of the long-winded uh, things that his friends tell him. But um, when it comes to relationships, we need to be forgiving in our heart. We need to, in our heart, forgive them. Whether or not they ask. Now, if they ask, now they're asking for a relationship again, for a restoration of a relationship. When you ask me to forgive you for what you did, you're asking me to have fellowship with you again. You're asking me to be close to you again. And that is cool. Yes, I can do that. Years ago, I'll tell you a story. We have war stories being pastors in churches. And my wife can just say, you know, I know this one. But uh, <laughs> I think this is probably before Steve was part of our church at that time. Uh, some very good friends of ours, good friends. Uh, we brought them up. They were having marital issues. We had known them since we were in California. They had since moved to um, Tucson area. and. Uh, they were having marital issues really bad, and they were, we were such good friends with them. And we were, already had the church started here in Washington, in Edgewood. And um, so I went down there and talked to them and counseled them and said, you guys, you know, you're out here in Tucson, away from fellowship, away from, you know, come and move to Washington. Hang with us. You know, let us... Re help your relationship and restore it and, and because we really love them. And they did, and they came up and we had a great time living together in the house for a while while they got <clears throat> their life. And it was our great pleasure and, you know, and to help them. And they helped in the church. They were, they were really youthful at, at, at heart and the youth, just the kids just flocked to them and it's just great to have Somebody, you know, you got to have a balance in a youth pastor between a kid and an adult and try to make sure they're the, the right one at the right time, you know. But um, they did that, and the, the youth loved them, and we were having great fellowship, and they had got their own place, and it was, everything seems fine, seemed fine. And um, they wanted to have a party, a harvest party, a Halloween party you know, for, for the youth. And, and I said, oh, that's great. But, you know, this is my first shot at it as a pastor. What am I going to, you know, how, how am I going to be involved in this? 
party for the youth. And I said, and at that time, you know, Chuck Smith, who's my uh, um, go-to, he, 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 they didn't allow dress-up for harp. They had the harvest party, but at that time, they didn't allow dress-up. I said, you know, I'm just going to be conservative on this one. And I said, yeah, you guys can have this harvest party at Halloween time, but don't dress up. You know, we don't want to be like the world. We want to, we want to be different, get together and, and uh, talk to the gal, our friend on the phone for a while, and she really wanted her case. And I, and I felt as a pastor, I just at that time, I couldn't do it. Now, probably I'd, I'd lighten up now and say, you know, as long as they're not some dark, ghoulish character, you know, somehow and just do it. But at that time, going at it, I said, no. I can't do that. I can't make that a part of the church. You guys can have a party, but I'm not going to say that's a church party, you know. And I thought that was settled. I thought that settled it. Done. You know, they're our friends. We love each other. And they realize that I'm the pastor, and this is my decision. Um, shortly after that, there was uh, rumors in the church, problems going out there. People, we could win of people having difficulties. We heard, oh, they're talking to this couple. Oh, they're our friends. I, they've got our back. You know, if they have problems and they want to talk to them, that's fine. We, and we started witnessing people leaving the church. Couples that had been with the church for a while left. People that I had brought to the Lord people I'd baptized were leaving. And were, What's going on? And then uh, the revenge part came. We had the ladies' Christmas tea. And uh, none of the ladies came. And uh, it was really a, it was a shock when I finally found out that these beautiful people that were our friends were actually